One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that wields the way music binds itself to memory as a means of getting to know our guests and to get them to recount some of their best life stories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guests today are Max Hat and Etta Glass. They're a musical duo I came across via my job as producer of Gulf Coast Life over on the radio dial. Max grew up in the Chicagoland area, studied jazz guitar in the David Baker program at Indiana University. Glass is the daughter of a jazz trombonist and music aficionado, so was likewise steeped in jazz, and says she learned to sing through obsessive teenage listening to a little-known Brazilian bossa nova album. Their first collaboration was a bossa nova party band, which took them everywhere from the Pacific Northwest to the Rocky Mountain states and as far south as Santa Fe, New Mexico. They eventually wound up at the Lincoln Center in New York City in 2014 and were awarded the grand prize at the International Mountain Stage New Song Competition. It's a really big deal. The music is kind of hard to classify, but it's kind of jazzy bossa nova folk that makes you stop and listen, where it made me do so. They list their other influences as, and I'm going to read the whole list because it's great, quote, from Neil Young to Ella Fitzgerald, Baden Powell, Jefferson Airplane, Keith Jarrett, Bill Frizzle, Patricia Barber, Chet Baker, Jim Hall, Paul Desmond, Charlie Hayden, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, David Crosby, Jim Jarmusch, J.D. Salinger, Marshall McLuhan, and Ursula Le Guin, end quote. They've lived in various places across the West and on the road and are now based in the Portland, Oregon area. They're in town to play a gig at the Americana Community Music Association in Fort Myers, so we're getting a chance to do another two-for episode with them while they're in town. So here we go. Hey there, you two. Hey, hey, Mike. How you doing? Great. Great to be Thank here. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. And uh, before we go any further, I just want to kind of break the fourth wall a little bit and say that you guys just did Gulf Coast Live. Right. Or Gulf yeah. Coast Life, we call it now. And... So you've already been in the studio for an hour. So really, thank you for doing this. And B, throughout the interview, I would get up and leave the room whenever you guys would talk about any of the things that I was going to ask you about, because I didn't want to know the answers to the questions. Oh, uh, very wise. So, so here we go. Um, Etta, how would you characterize the musical background of your childhood? Well, my dad uh, is a jazz trombonist, um, so we had a lot of uh, jazz playing around. Um, my mom is a, a big music appreciator and a musician herself and uh, she uh, she had a lot of uh, Joni Mitchell playing around you know a lot of uh, that kind of music um, and uh, and also a lot of bossa nova Brazilian bossa nova um, which I became infatuated with um, and then the other really important thing was that there was a stack of records in the basement that belonged to uh, my deceased uncle hmm. and it had all the it had Jefferson airplane on it and it had you know Simon and Garfunkel and um, Neil Young, and it was like that was my music. Um, was there I really, like a turntable down there? There was or? a turn, yeah. It was, yeah. And it was all vinyl, you know. It was, yeah, it was just like yeah. And and at the time, I really didn't uh, I didn't identify with the music of my generation, like uh, you know the Hanson Brothers um, <laughs> boy bands. You know, it just did not click for me. It was just too slick. It was too produced. Um, and I felt I feel like if I hadn't you know had that stack of records that I. I, I'm sure I would have figured out music, but I mean, I just, I, I, I felt like that like kind of saved me somehow. Hmm. Um, where was this geographically? Uh, I grew up in a bunch of different places, so it was spread out. Okay. Um, have you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, 
there, what you just talked about, like Music Saving Me, Found a Vinyl, there's like a mm. theme running mm. through that movie. Mm. Um, okay, so Max, what about you? What, what was the musical background of your childhood? Oh, I grew up listening to uh, AM radio and the, I can remember the Beatles being on and um, uh, Neil Young and all the one-hit wonders, uh, the zombies and, and all these people, the Rolling Stones. Um, and I um, very much wanted to be a, kind of a folk singer in that, that mode. I, John Prine was another influence. Um, and then later on in life, I got into uh, bluegrass and uh, new grass, what they call new grass, what we now think was kind of contemporary mm-hmm. bluegrass. And, and then I started to get into jazz when I was in high school. And, hmm. uh, you don't sing now. No, in the group, no, I, I, but you I, wanted to be a folk singer. Well, how long I, did that dream last? Well, I realized I couldn't sing. Okay, and, uh, and I really didn't. I guess I really didn't want to be a singer. And um, I started writing my own music when I, I realized that I was really. I'm, I'm a terrible imitator. Uh, Ed is very good at. at uh, she's a natural born uh, imitator in a very precise way. And I was just. I would get distracted, and then I would. I couldn't do it, and then I would just write my. I realized that I could do my own songs, and I started writing my own stuff. And then I always found that more interesting, and that's uh, kind of how it went. Hmm. So. What were your folks listening to, or what was being played around? Uh, my you? my mother was very musical. She uh, she played piano, and played a lot of gospel and folk songs, and my father was more into um, what I think they called easy listening kind of stuff. Uh, but in that in those years, it included a lot of music from the '30s. A lot of Frank Sinatra, um, Montavani, probably kind of stuff. Very, very, um, very melodic, but definitely stuff that had its roots in the 30s and 40s. Mm. Kind of big, kind of sweet and big band kind of stuff, you mm. know? Yeah. Uh, Etta, you mentioned the basement records from your uncle. What was being played, though, by your parents, grandparents, the people around you exposing you either incidentally or on purpose to music? Oh, well, you know, the, the jazz for my dad, um, the uh, um, uh, big band jazz, uh, you know, uh, jazz vocalists who um, uh, Diana Krall or uh, um, Mark Murphy, um, a lot of uh, Jamie Abersold who uh, makes uh, practice jazz tracks. So all you hear is the rhythm section. Hmm. So you kind of like it's so that you can play along with it because he's a jazz trombonist. Yeah. So I got a lot of harmonic information when I was young. Hmm. Her father was one of the first instructors at the University of Miami. Oh, wow. Yeah, very, at the jazz program. Yeah, in the yeah. jazz program, taught Pat Metheny and people like that. Hmm. Did you ever play any instruments? Uh, I do play a little bit of guitar. Uh, I also play shaker, which I want everyone to know is is a lot more difficult than it looks. Are there different kinds of shakers? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, there are. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you this. I have this black shaper, shaker. It's made by Meinl, and I went into a music store one day, and I tried out their same shaker, same 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 maker, and it was it didn't sound the same. So I had to buy that new one. Hmm. So I had two options for my black shakers. When I used to when I used to play um, the. The cheapo last-minute emergency version was you go to a, gro- a grocery store mm-hmm. and get one of those 25-cent egg toy things right. by the right. door, fill that up with sand. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's good. That's good because I was in an emergency situation once, and I tried to use a Tylenol bottle, and it, was, it wasn't very Rattle. good. I Rattle. would just buy some rock salt and pour half of it out. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's go. good. That, yeah. I should have thought yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, uh, so when did you play your first instrument? Uh, I started playing when I was in maybe fifth-grade guitar, acoustic guitar. Did you take to it quickly? I did, yeah, I did, and then I picked up an electric guitar, which was really hard to play, and and uh, yeah, I uh, and I tried piano in high, in college, but it never made a lot of sense. It's a very rational instrument, you know, logical, but um, 
I always came back to the guitar. Yeah. Were you uh, teaching yourself? Were you getting any training? Uh, I took a few lessons early on, and uh, and they w- I wanted to learn Beatles songs, and they wanted to teach me, I don't know, Red Sails and the Sunset or something like that. And so pre- I'm pretty much self-taught. I took, I took um, theory classes in, in college and, and had a few lessons, but pretty much self-taught. Hmm. Yeah. Um, have you always been singing, Ada? Yeah, I mean, everyone has always been singing, right? I mean, and I, I always, I'm always really sad when someone says that they stopped singing because someone told them they couldn't sing or some nonsense like that. Um, but yeah, I've always been singing. Been singing. Um, I was in public high school choir. Um, I've never been a very good learner um, from, like, from someone explaining something to me. Ah. So I am also you're not auto- easily taught. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, well, however you want to put that. Um, so <laughs> seems I, like you're a good learner. I am. No, you're hard. right. I am a good learner, but I, I tend to be an autodidact. <clears throat> let, let's just say I'm a very stubborn learner. Okay. I have to learn in my own way, and so I'm kind of an autodidact as well. Um, were you able to dial it in as a kid in terms of like you know keeping it on key and hearing the sounds of the songs and knowing you know what to do? Because now it seems like you kind of know your way around pretty good. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I often wish that I had studied music um, and that I, you know, taken advantage of my dad knowing all this stuff. But sometimes it's really hard to learn from your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still now now we have these discussions where I, you know, ask him, you know, why is this ninth in this position, you know, or whatever. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I always had a good ear, um, which means that um, you know you really don't like the way you sound and you're able to correct it. Um, just so yeah. Do you remember the first time you recorded yourself singing and then heard it? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. No? Because, no. you know, that's like a whole different thing, as I'm sure yeah. you're well aware now. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, and now everyone has a recorder in their pocket. Well, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But every time is a, a shock, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I say early musical memory, what pops into your head? Um, probably the strongest musical memory I ever had was when I discovered I, I came home late at night. Uh, I was probably in high school, and I was looking for the Johnny Carson show, and I was near Chicago, and I came across John Prine sitting on a black stage on a stool singing Hello in there, and it knocked me out. I didn't know who he was, and I just thought it was so moving. That's one very, very, considering I'm a jazz guy, uh, you know, that's that's interesting. That's what that was. One of the Uh, other questions is, is when music moved you for an early time, would that have been that too, probably? um, Well, music always moved me. But that was like a, a knockout punch. Hmm. Um, yeah. I can understand that yeah. with, with yeah. him. Yeah. Um, what about you? Early musical memory? Yeah. Actually, the the, the song that I picked uh, for for this show is is really about that. I don't know if you want to hold off until we, we get We will put that, that on the shelf for now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about m- being music moving you? Is that the yeah, same that's thing? Def- yeah, totally. Definitely the same the thing. Same yeah. thing. Um, let, me, let me say something yeah, about yeah. that. So I think what moved me about, really knocked me out about the John Prine thing was that I'd heard a lot of produced records on the radio, you know, bands with harmonies and whatnot. But just John being there with an acoustic guitar and one voice telling a very simple, very, you know, unplugged kind of thing, really like, wow, I realized how important, how, mo- how moving that could be. Hmm. Just stripped down to the most, with a great story. And a you know, and a deadpan um, delivery with a with a not classically great voice. You know, I just wow, it just floored me. That could have been you. That could have been me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, with a not classic. Yes. It's not too late. <laughs> no, right. 
Um, okay, we are getting to our first song, and it is your song, and it is what and why. This is very interesting, the whole challenge of coming up with songs that evoke certain things. And, I, and the problem was I had so many that I could have said. Most of them were tied to specific things. But the one I chose, which is the Wichita Lineman, the Jimmy Webb composition that Glenn uh, Campbell made famous, um, is one that really, in a more, more general but um, universal, timeless way, um, really captured um, f- the feelings that I had as a as a child, and, and really all my life. And that is basically one of uh, being in a rather someplace you didn't want to be, probably a desolate place. Um, the image of a guy, a lineman on a on a telephone pole. Um, who'd lost somebody or was dreaming about something, about yearning and longing and uh, uh, just feeling like something was missing. And, you know, and then all the metaphors in that song, the hearing her whistling in the the wire and uh, um, then the lines. um, So it's so poetic. Um, I need you more than want you, those kinds of things. They just... I heard him. I always just it just took me someplace else. But hmm. how old would you have been when that oh, was happening? Oh man, um, I don't know. You like um, middle school or high, early mm-hmm. in high school? Hmm. Um, I would hear, I, and I kind of associated with a, with a place. I used to go on family vacations uh, way up in in northern Minnesota and and summer vacations, and that song was on the radio a lot for a while, and it just. Um, Kind of in when I was up in the North Woods and the lakes and the blue skies, it was just uh, it was just a vehicle to go somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. And then I had a, I grew up having a huge infatuation with the American West and always wanted to live there and ended up living there. And then that all became inspiring for uh, um, for the kinds of songs that I write. The, f- the feeling that I have inside of me that um, kind of comes out in the in the, the songs. Hmm. You want to listen to it? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Wichita Lineman, performed by Glenn Campbell from his 1968 album of the same name. Still knocks me out. What were you jotting down over there? Oh, just some <laughs> notes. I mean, Glenn's voice is so pure. You know, it just sails. And um, and, the, and this thing about wanting and needing, needing you more than wanting, you know, wanting and needs a much stronger thing than wanting. You you want the finest wines known to men, not kind. You want them now, right now, right? You know, but you need a glass of water when you're, you know, you're going to perish, you know? Mm. And, uh, and I want you for all time. It's, it's really timeless. And I was listening through the lens of sort of a, you know, a 14 or 15-year-old yeah. boy listening to that. There's a lot of universe out there oh, that you yeah. don't even know what it is but you know right. it's resonating right. you know and this just on a musical level um uh, i mean it's so sophisticated i mean it's got all the wrecking crew people on it okay. kind of you know glenn, who glenn was a member of the wrecking crew um the strings are echoing the they're picking up on the lyrics and the the morris code you know is that that whole thing is is hmm. with the telephone wires and the, the strings and the i was listening to the ride symbol on the drum uh, you know and it's it's just exquisite 
Blaine. Was it taking you back anywhere geographically, historically, you know, um, or is it you're it, still just listening to it now through sort of the lens just, of today? It's really like just this universal. I don't. I really don't associate it with a place other than the place that I wanted to be. That right. was not the cornfields in the Midwest. Hmm. I collect. <laughs> I collect the uh, the songs to use for this, but I don't sit there and listen to them. Yeah. And I didn't think I knew this song, and I, don't, oh, I didn't know necessarily know the words. Yeah. But I was immediately like back in my dad's house yeah. in Kansas City. Like yeah. I, he must have been listening to this. Like Dad, you, I know you listen to these. Tell sure. me if this is a song you used to play. He'll, yeah. He'll well, you know, me someday. you know who Pat Metheny is? He's, he's won twenty Grammys. He's, I know he's, who he is. He, he, I was reading an interview with him one time, and uh, he's from Kansas City, huh. by the way, along with Charlie Hayden, those guys. He said, you know, I, I. I uh, I feel like I just keep writing with a Wichita lineman over and over mm-hmm. again, you know, and, and it's a really sophisticated composition that that was real, a massive hit. And those kinds of things are rare when you combine those two things, you know. Hmm. So uh, when did you guys first see each other play music? Oh, I had this jazz trio, uh, as I mentioned in the other program. And this uh, was in Montana, right? Yeah, yeah. You were one of like the million or so people in Montana. I looked up the population of Montana. There's yeah, more cows. It's just people. a bit more than the county that we're in. <laughs> right. But there's a lot, of, uh, t- a lot of art and there's a lot of talented musicians there. And uh, yeah, so we had, we had a trio with bass and drums and was doing jazz, jazz standards. But I always was doing Brazilian stuff and Latin stuff as well. And Etta had a, has a... This grace, this great voice for for the Portuguese, she could. That's a, it's a very difficult language to learn, and sp- it's very a nuanced language. And she had, the, and she's got a low voice, which a lot of the female Brazilian singers have. And she really. And then it, when we started writing our original stuff, um, it was in, it was interesting to see how that translated from Portuguese to. Mm-hmm. Kind of what we're doing now. So, did you show up at like a one of their gigs? And yeah, I started sitting in, and uh, and I just kind of kept on learning more songs and sitting in on more songs, and, and then eventually we just kind of became a bossa nova quartet. Right. Um, Once you introduce a vocalist into a band, uh, an instrumental band, it's, it you know, you can't go back. I mean, <laughs> well, he, yeah. you can, he, but he the audience this, can't. I mean, I really, I really love instrumental music. For me, that's that's the best kind of music because I can just kind of sit back and dream. And so that's kind of how the lyric writing came about: is that I could put on his original music um, that was just solo guitar and listen to that and and just see images and and see stories going by. And so that's how the lyric writing happened. In my rich research for this show, which really was about 20 minutes of digging around on the internet, I found a a quote from you saying something, there's something poignant about singing Girl from Ipanema when it's negative 40 out. I thought that kind of says a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of a performance art, you know, in itself. (laughs) We were big with the survivalists in Montana. Um, So so, so then you started playing together. At what point did you leave Montana? We went down to uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we, we were living down there for like the last four years. And basically because we realized that if we went down there, we could make a living as musicians. Mm, there's, um, there's just a lot of work down there. And then we submitted for this uh, the NPR Mountain Stage New Song Contest with our original music, and we ended up winning the grand prize. And that's kind of what set us on the path of touring more broadly. That's the Lincoln Center thing, right? Lincoln yeah. Center, yeah. We ended yeah. up we got to play at Lincoln Center and the Sundance Film Festival, and, and later on Kennedy Center. So how did the so you won? How did that all work? I just wanted like like we, a little backstory. Like, yeah. did you submit a song? Did you were the regional qualifier? I mean, how, yeah, do, you, how do you a, wind up it's, it, there? It, it, it's an international uh, competition, and uh, they break the states down into four regions, five regions. Yeah, there's. Yeah. And we were uh, the Southwest Regional 
winner. And then all the regional contestants go yeah. to Lincoln Center, and there's t- 10 or 12, and then there's a you play a couple songs for a jury, a panel of six, I think, of judges. And um, Pat Sansone, who's in the band Wilco, was the, was the judge who uh, who was going to produce the record, the grand the grand prize, as it were. And uh, he really really got what we were doing. And uh, so we went into the studio in, in Asheville, North Carolina, Echo Mountain, hmm. and uh, made a record. I think we had two weeks to to make a record and. and yeah. Yeah, and that connection. Uh, I mean, we've really we've it's become a friendship with Pat, and he, so he mixed our new album that's coming out, um, and recorded a lot of the tracks on it. So that really ended up being a, a very uh, uh, fruitful relationship yeah. for us. Yeah, Pat has really big ears, and he's he's really got most of his time is spent in the the pop art world or art pop art or art pop world, yeah. and. Uh, very. Uh, those guys take their music very seriously. Yeah, I, I I can trust him in the studio to be just as perfectionistic as I would be if I was sitting in his chair, which yeah. allows me to step back and mm. relax. So you don't have to be like yeah. meta yeah. aware yeah. of the person listening and, to you, right? Yeah. And this was that the first record, Ocean of Birds, was the first rec, really the first time we'd been in a studio. So uh, and Pat grew up from a kid, I think from the age of five. He, he grew up in Mississippi. And he was in the studio all the time, so he's just just second nature for him. So it was a complete, you know, an interesting experience. The second time around, um, we we produced our own record, the one that's about to be released, and and then we brought and we, it to him. We brought it <laughs> to, to him because make it better. Well, it just <laughs> yeah, and uh, just to do the things that we couldn't do, and and uh, so it, it's you know you need. Uh, I wanted somebody that was not. We really, we really think of ourselves as jazz musicians. I think more than anything else in terms of our backgrounds that are. But we're not necessarily trying to appeal to a jazz. No, audience. no, no, right. no. And so Pat was a That's good a choice. Road to su- broad mainstream success, right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Jazz musicians not aiming at the jazz audience. Right. <laughs> yep. So, yep. That's our plan. We kind of thought that we wanted Pat to do it because he he has big ears, as they say, and uh, and we're all on the same aesthetic page. So. What was it like being on the stage at Lincoln Center? Did either of you ever played a venue like that before? Did you have to get dressed up? I always up, dreamed you know? that we yeah. wanted like to play a gig in, in, in New York. <laughs> I didn't think it would be at, at Lincoln Center. It was just another gig, really. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was, yeah, I was pretty gripped. Pretty gripped? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was recovering from a surgery, so it was, I kind of had other things on my mind. <laughs> yeah, we almost, didn't, we almost didn't go to the contest. Yeah, so. yeah. Wow. So. Um, so you guys just played live during Golf Coast Life. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, you had the little PA set up, which, by the way, it turned out sounding great. Oh, really? I even went out and listened on my little radio, you know, the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. little radio. Sounded great. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so is that basically the setup that you guys use when you're playing live, or was that yeah. some sort of well, reduced version? Yeah, it's a redu- we usually we play with two of those, and it's stereo. Okay. And it's spread out, and she's. She but as far as the loop and the yeah, effect pedals yes, and things, yes. that's pretty much it. Yes. And then we we sometimes tour with a uh, with a trio or a quartet. Bass or stand up bass or drum. I can I can hear that. And sometimes trombone. These days, a lot of things have to do with just how much money's how, what the budget is. Yeah. And that dictate. What we found was that we can get a big sound. Kind of the things that you would have in the studio, background vocals or whatever, or horn parts or symphony parts, and do it in, in with these loop stations mm-hmm. and uh, and try to make it as 
musical as possible and and uh, as transparent as possible to the music, not to the technology. Yeah, it's it's funny because a lot of people think of us as a very minimal act, but there's yeah. actually quite a bit of technology yeah. that goes yeah. into creating the, the that sound atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, Mellotron, did you mention that? Yeah. Yeah. I just learned what that was from a previous guest on this uh-huh. show who was big into electronic music back when it was all beginning. And right. she used to have a band that played with used a Mellotron back when it was first invented. It's yeah. on your new album? Is that what you said? Well, or it was Pat's, on your album? Or? I guess Pat's – That's a yeah, he it's his main instrument, I think. I mean, he's a keyboard player. It's a keyboard, basically. You know, the Beatles used it, all, all yeah. the flute sounds and all those it's strange like, sounds. It's early sampling. It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's little r- – Spools right. of tape that right. you record an instrument onto, and then it'll play it for however many seconds, right. and then suck it back in. Right. It's right. just like a like a MIDI controller. Only. That's what right. I, I told her. I, I said it's like early analog MIDI. Yeah, and she exactly. Said, yeah, it is. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, I just had to throw that out there. Yeah. No. no. Um, okay. Uh, so, where does music fit into your life these days when you're not performing it or writing it? Like, how do you do? You listen to a lot of music. How do you listen to music? Uh, you know, I go through these long periods where I don't listen to any music. And then when I go back to listen to music, I realize that it's it's just so spiritually beneficial. You know, I mean, it really makes me, like, feel better, you know. And uh, so, you know, I kind of go go between these uh, these extremes of not listening and then going back and listening a lot and um, listening to new things, listening to old things. And What are you listening to now? This was one of the times I ran out of yeah, the room. Yeah, okay. So what I'm listening to now, you know— <laughs> I kind of I spent my whole life basically listening to a bunch of music that no that no one none of my peers were listening to and so music was always like this really private experience you know I never wanted other people to I, like I I even to this day I don't like to have music on if some if someone else comes into the room and I have music on I'll turn it off I don't know if I'm afraid that they're going to judge me or that it's just like I like I would never walk around with a boombox hmm. um but so now I've been kind of uh, – and I've also had very snobbish music tastes. Like I'm not going to listen to, you know. Um, so now I've been really trying to, um, to to cover what's popular now and try to just, just kind of listen to it. And a lot of it is actually pretty uh, sociologically interesting. Hmm. And I'm kind of trying to drop the, the snobbish aspect of my personality and just listen. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's like Taylor Swift, her new single, you know, uh, Lady Gaga, you know, watching those music videos, which were like – they were like – I was kind of shocked by how arty they were, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of been what I've my, – my recent exploration, which has been very exotic to me. <laughs> how, uh, how do you listen to music? Like do you have like an echo and you say, Alexa, play Lady Gaga? <laughs> or do you have a vinyl somewhere between? No, no, we don't. You know, basically uh, we tour so much that we neither of us really owns very much. Uh, so we don't have a record player. Neither of us do. do. Um, so uh, on my phone. Okay. And the internet. I'd like to, you know, I remember, you know, uh, hearing, I, I heard a lot of music first on vinyl and then and then hearing the, the CD version. A lot of times they would have remastered it and or vice versa. You know, I'd hear the CD version and then I'd hear the record version and the record version would be just like suddenly this massive spacious quality and mm-hmm. the mix is much wider. So you hear the voices at, you know, precisely 45 degrees and then something else is behind you. And so I would love to get back into that space where I'm just really listening and not doing anything else and not multitasking. Do you remember the last time you bought music that had a physical form, like a CD? Um, I've been given a lot of CDs. As uh, a touring musician. By other, by yeah, other musicians exactly. usually. Um, but no, I can't. No, not in Been a long time. Form. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Uh, how does music fit into your life when you're not making it? 
You know, I uh, I I never have music on as a ba- in the background because I'm always, I, I can't it, it, I have to listen to it. Mm-hmm. So it's either I'm listening to it because I like it, or I'm I'm trying to figure out what I don't like about it, or I hear some the drums are interesting or the bass, or I'm just uh, so I don't listen to it in a in a wallpaper kind of way. Um, I, I, I guess I, I walk a lot, and I walk like eight miles a day, so I'll occasionally put stuff on. And right now I'm looking forward to this new uh, Pat Metheny record that's coming out. He hasn't made a record in, in eight years or something like that, and, and it's kind of dribbling out on YouTube and seeing this stuff. But um, and I, I guess I go back and listen to a lot of stuff. There's, um, I don't find much – and I have friends who turn me on to stuff. I kind of use them as yeah, filters, yeah. filters, you know, uh-huh. and they'll sit, tell me to check this person out and that. And I'm, I'm again, it's for me, it's mostly jazz. Um, I, I'm really New York rhythm sections and new horn players and people that I see playing with other people. Like, we were just at the Village Vanguard and saw Julian Lodge, for instance. He's a phenomenal um, guitarist who plays all genres extremely well. And, um, what form will you buy the new Pat Metheny album in? I'll download it um, okay. probably from iTunes or yeah. So, and do you remember yeah. the last time you bought music that had a physical form? It's been a long time. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Do you guys listen to music on the road? Not we very do much. Occasionally. Not m- yeah. much. You know, we've got a, you know, we've got a record that's done and has we haven't had time to release. Or I've, we're starting to work on new songs for the original stuff for the next record, and uh, we're. We basically were on tour the whole year, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, like 110, 120 dates, and it's just there's just no time. Yeah. And so when there is time to work on something new, I'm working on some part for a song, or uh, you know, or yeah. arranging it, or. So what's on the radio in the car while you're driving? Mostly silent. There's no, uh, no. It's not on. Wow. Yeah, sometimes sometimes we. You guys are like zen in the art of driving <laughs> long distances. Well, I like to. I really like to write <laughs> lyrics in the car. So I, I will put on Max's solo guitar recordings, demos that he's made, and have that be the soundtrack for the landscape going by out the windows. Okay. And then I'll have ideas and images. And so not, not any public radio or. Well, you know, when you're driving, it's not that reliable to get that's true. radio, especially if you're covering large distances and then you're in a new territory. You, you don't know what the station the is. Yeah, yeah. So. Podcasts? Either of y'all doing oh, podcasts? Oh, yeah. I yeah. love podcasts. Yeah. I mean, um, and we love public radio. I mean, that, that would be what was on if, 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 if it were on. It yeah. Be, I, I really yeah. like this, this podcast called Jazz Standards that. It's basically like a bunch of geeks talking about practicing, and it makes me feel – it kind of shames me, and <laughs> it motivates me, and, you know, it, it just – So they yeah. have special guests on? You can maybe yeah. be on it sometime. Yeah, you it's like it's all very, email. you know, zen in the art of practicing kind of thing, you know. <laughs> also, uh-huh. yeah, I listen to a lot of interviews. I like to listen to interviews with musicians yeah. and – And audiobooks. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it's time for your song. Okay. Etta, what is it? Why is it? How do you want to do it? So this is, uh, uh, this is Above the Treetops uh, by Pat Metheny. Uh, it's from uh, Secret Story. And uh, I, I think I'm going to have, have you play it after, afterwards. Um, but uh, this is a song that uh, I really associate with this certain feeling that I had when I was a kid that was um, this kind of bittersweet, longing, very mysterious feeling. Um, and I felt this feeling so, and it's a feeling that I still feel today. Um, but I felt this feeling so strongly when I was like in, in third grade that I, I distinctly remember thinking to myself, you know, when I'm an adult, 
I am always going to take third graders very seriously because we know. We know. And I'm never going to have I think a that's deeper good knowledge. You know, and I stand level. by that. Yeah. I stand by that. Um, and I was so kind of like into this feeling. I was aware of it as a thing, as a phenomenon that I um, founded uh, my own religion based around this feeling. Um, and uh, this, What was it called? Uh, the unicorn religion. Okay, okay. <laughs> and so I had three central tenets and um, principles. Um, one was that uh, some of us uh, were unicorns in a past life. Or maybe all of us were unicorns in a past life, but only some of us know that. Um, and then the second tenet was that uh, it's important for us to find each other, those of us that know about the unicorns. And then the third one is that, you know, that there's some hope that in the future we could become unicorns again. And that's the reason why we have this this deep, longing, bittersweet feeling. Um, so that was, it was kind of inspired by a, a, a book called The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. And there was also like a, a proto-anime movie. Um, You're getting big thumbs up. Oh, for yeah. It's yeah. such a good movie. <laughs> I know. It's the best movie ever. Yeah. Oh. So I watched it so many times when I was a kid. Um, and the book is amazing. It's like really philosophical. It's like really literary. I mean, um, I think my dad read it to me. Um, but anyway, I, uh, you know, I was kind of the, um, the, the kid that was always alone on the playground and wasn't necessarily unhappy with that. But, you know, sometimes there'd be feelings of loneliness, you know, the, the mission to find that best friend. Um, and, you know, I did have one best friend who really got the unicorn thing. But I was really I was looking for, you know, other acquaintances who I don't know if I was going to convert them. Or were you sharing it to the people who I mean, were you talking about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like <laughs> preaching it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I had the special friend. You know, I had the best friend, you know, the best of best friends, yeah. my very dear friend. And we, you know, we we played the unicorn thing together, you know, but I was always looking to see if there were other, you know, kids out there on the playground in third grade who might also be unicorns. And uh I remember there was this one kid uh, named uh, uh, Ben, and he was he was kind of a, a head shorter than everyone else, um, and he was very uh, he was kind of this this cherub. He had this really tan skin. He had this like white blonde buzz cut hair, and we kind of bonded over uh, the This American Girl uh, series, which is like a historical novel. Uh, I know series about it. With oh, do you have a daughter? I have a daughter, <laughs> and I worked at a bookstore way back in the day. Yeah, so and it comes the with two. these beautiful accessorized dolls. Um, so he really liked that. And at the time, I was, uh, I was this big-time tomboy. I, I dressed exclusively from the boys' uh, you know, section of the, of the clothing store. I had a boy's haircut. I would regularly get you know, kindly shooed away from the women's restroom and shown the other one. Um, and I, just, I remember this, this one time he's, he said to me, he, was always, um, he always had this very sad affect to his voice and his whole demeanor. And I remember once he said to me, um, you know, you want to be a boy and I want to be a girl. I wish we could just switch places. And, you know, as an adult, I mean, I feel I feel so bad for him because I felt like, you know, I just wish I could do something for him. But at, at the time as a kid, I said, no, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a boy or a girl. What matters is that you are a unicorn. <laughs> and uh, the reason why I wanted to, to tell that is that, you know, there's uh, – there is real, you know, there's, there's this real suffering that goes on and this real anguish that is not bittersweet. It's just bitter, you know. And I really, the thing that music does for me and that art does for me and that, you know, I think this unicorn thing was kind of like a poetic art form is what you know, I was getting into. And uh, it, 
it really it allows you to to experience suffering and longing, but without the pain. So you have you you experience this longing melancholy, but it has meaning, and so it's kind of this alternate way. It kind of allows you to explore suffering without actually feeling the pain, which makes it so hard to figure it all out. So that this song uh, by Pat Metheny is it, can, it came out when I was like seven or eight. And it really, like, it really just embodies this this whole kind of longing feeling, and uh, it, yeah, you know, I, I had kind of, I had heard Matheny since uh, since I was a baby. My mom says that she played it all the time when I was like a toddler, so it like kind of really resonated like from a very early age, and uh, yeah, I think I I used to, I remember really, I remember listening to it and just going on these like big meaningful quests in my head just like these journeys you know crossing through landscapes and go, doing something really important and I just, I ho- my hope is that listeners will listen to this track and you know go on their own little adult or child journey let's test that theory uh, you ready uh, above the treetops by the Pat Metheny group is that what it's called yeah uh, from the 1992 album secret story So it's time you listen to that. You know, I try not to listen to it very often because, you know, don't I don't want to wear it out. Because it's it. kind of like it's that song. It's just, yeah. yeah that's the Cambodian chil- Children's Choir yeah, and the yeah. London Symphony Orchestra playing on yeah. it, too. It's beautiful. So where were you going in your head while we were sitting here listening to it? <laughs> I was thinking about Ben, you know. <laughs> I don't think that the unicorns helped him necessarily, you know. I just, uh, but I, I hope that you know that he's somewhere and he's happy. And Do you remember his last name? You know, I wouldn't mention it not. online. But you, <laughs> you could, you could look him up on Facebook. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's like a unicorn furry. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope he, you know, has a life partner and all that, and you know, yeah. You know. Um, uh, I mentioned earlier the Mellotron, and mm-hmm. the guest was a woman named Kat Apple who lives in town, and she used to have a band back in the 70s and early 80s that was kind of on the edge of New Age, mm-hmm. but they really kind of were using the New Age market to get their music, kind of like you guys. Like, mm-hmm. they played their own thing, but it was closest to New Age. Oh, sure. I think Matheny won a Grammy in New Age. And, 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 and she won, I mean, she's won Emmys. She's won all kinds. Mm-hmm. She got to play. They did the soundtrack for like Carl Sagan's, oh. Uh, oh. you know, Cosmos. Cosmos. Oh, really? Um, what was the name of this group? Uh, her name is Cat Apple. The name of, look in, find the name of their band. I, I, it had a dragon in it, I think. They were into D&D and stuff. Oh, I don't even yeah. think D&D was around yet. They were into yeah. fantasy. Uh-huh. But I bring it up because her em- set, Emerald Web. Emerald Web was the name. <laughs> yeah. And they had like 15 albums they put uh-huh. out. She's actually going through now and like remastering them all because there's like all these fans they have around the world that want to buy them on vinyl. Anyway, but what, she, what it reminded me of, what you said, uh, her second song was from the Planets, uh, Holtz. It was the Neptune. And she just talked so much. Her whole story was about the places, the fantastical places that she would go in her head when she heard that song. And I, so I was kind of remembering that and listening to that, and it was kind of like, it was all tying together in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, that unicorn thing, have you ever, like, put that out there on the record? You know, like like into a microphone where it's going to go out there in the world? <laughs> in a lyrical maybe form, I didn't think this. Maybe I didn't think this through. No, I, there, I have never uttered the word unicorn in a song. I just mean like, yeah. you know, like you don't have that in your bio. 
No, I, you know, it, it's funny because as I was growing up, it was like the unicorns. It was always like, oh, yeah, that was the unicorn era, you know, because when I went, you know, when I switched uh, to, to middle school, right. you know, suddenly it's, you know, I lost the best friend who knew about the unicorns. Right. And, and you kind of. And then suddenly it's all about boys and crushes and cliques and, you know, and so it's it's just it, suddenly that all gets sublimated and mm. you keep uh, that secret and, you know. But, but here it is today. Yeah, I want to I want to test a theory about that. We'll see how sublimated it got and we'll see how many words of this you remember. When the last <laughs> is this America? This is America. Oh, yeah, they did the soundtrack for this movie. And that movie would be The Last, Last Unicorn. Unicorn. In the shadow of the forest, though she may be old and worn, they will stare unbelieving at the Last Unicorn. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I told you this was not your normal interview. Uh, <laughs> wait, I didn't do my warm-ups. Um, uh, okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna push on down the track here. Uh, when do you remember the first time that your ability to sing caught people's attention in a way that made you realize I can sing? Yeah, um, I. I was in, you know, these uh, public high school choirs and, you know, they'd have like a pops night and, you know, you uh, you could you could play something. And so I decided I, I had never played guitar before, um, but I decided I would learn how to play guitar for this. <laughs> and I sang, I think it was, it was House of the Rising Sun. And actually, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that anyone thought that I was any like a great singer at that point or anything. But I remember my, my choir teacher saying, you know. Edda, you just always come in with something new, you know. <laughs> so um, I don't know. That was that would have been like back in middle school or high school. But as far as uh, you know, otherwise we kind of we did all this this uh, when I when we started doing this bossa nova stuff, where I was just kind of sitting in and, and just doing more and more of it. It was always like really background music, so I was very comfortable with that because I didn't feel like anyone was actually listening. And I'm an introvert, you know, so. All the all the stage presence and you know interviewing is all like really learned behavior that yeah. I learned like in my adulthood yeah. along with right and left. Um, so um, yeah, I don't know. I guess. Um, how many bands have you guys each been in? I mean, have you been in more than? I mean, you've been in at least two. <laughs> yeah, not many. Um, not many, really. Yeah, no, just. Uh, I mean, the just, jazz world's a little different too. You know, you there's you. you these very short-lived collaborations. You know? Right. Yeah. And did I get it right from, from Gulf Coast Life that uh, political science and political philosophy, so neither one of you were necessarily aspiring to be on the radio in Fort Myers talking about your music someday. Yeah, but. music was always a hobby for me for just a, a really long time. And uh, I just, I guess it just started, just kept on sitting in with uh, Max's group. Yeah. And, and music was a hobby for me for a long time. I mean, I, I have uh, I taught school. I, I did a construction for many years, hmm. and, um, and finally, I was able to get back to it. I mean, it was always there as a serious hobby, but yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. once we started doing, I think you know, really winning that contest was actually probably when we started to get attention from people in the industry who you know had some. You know, my mom always liked my singing. Right. right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but. 
Yeah, and th- at that point, it was like we were doing, we were, had submitted our original songs. And that, you know, singing Bossa Nova was always going to be a hobby for me because I'm, you know, I'm not Brazilian. You know, I, people say that I, I sing it very well, and I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, it's not my own music, you know, and I, I like to do things that are original. So um, when we got, you know, some um, uh, verification um, or, you know, confirmation from from submitting the original songs. Then it became something that was really interesting to me, and I had uh, I had been really trying to write like a fantasy novel in my early adulthood, and I wrote like eight eight hundred pages worth of drafts. You know, it's like, you know, I decided now this has to be from someone else's perspective and rewrite everything. Was it the second to the last unicorn? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> there were no unicorns, but yeah. And so you know, writing lyrics <clears throat> became like this this art form where I could actually finish it. You know, I could finish right. a song. Rather than a novel. Uh, favorite venue you've ever played, Max? Mm. I uh, really enjoyed playing uh, Wilco Solid Sound Festival up in uh, North Adams, Massachusetts at the Mass Mocha Museum because it's all about music and they really curate it and uh, you're not compromised in any way. You know, Lincoln Center those ga- and Kennedy Center, those were both um, – those are some heavy – institutions, you know, I mean, to do that. Again, very professional. Sundance was a lot of fun. We played the Sundance. How did, how did that work? I mean, where do you play at Sundance? Uh, there's a, right in the center of the, of the movie um, festival, there's a film festival, there's a, the ASCAP Lounge, mm-hmm. and it's just a musical venue. And again, it's very, it's a listening room, and um, it's really curated and really well done, and we were able to do a couple of sets yeah. there. BMI has one, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's like while you're at Sundance, you can go over and catch some music. Yeah. Right. And there's a big you know, connection between music and film. And yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. the hope is that, you know, maybe some of these ASCAP artists will get used it's by one of the filmmakers. It's a big deal. And it's for, uh, what do they call it, emerging artists. And uh, it's it's wonderful. You guys, oh. uh, I was getting, first, favorite stages first, and then I have a follow-up question that has to do with movies. Um, we've, you know, we're kind of moving into this, uh, this arena where we're playing in performing arts centers, uh, you know, larger halls, which I love. It's very thrilling. And, you know, we can play with a, you know, larger band and there's all these really amazing things about it. And plus, it actually makes the tours make financial sense. But for years, we've played uh, house concerts. And I mean, I could tell you about so many different house concerts. There, there's such uh, moving experiences for the performer. And I think, you know, all the, audi- the audience, what the audience says that they like about it is that, you know, it's so intimate. It's such a different way to hear things. And, you know, you're right there with the performer. And it's just, it's really, it, I feel like it fulfills something that we just don't get in modern society anymore, where we're all experiencing the same sound waves in the same room. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much energy the performer gets from the audience and you know you can get a lot of energy from a large crowd but in a you know in a small room you know you really it's just so direct and i just even though i spent so much time uh listening to music by myself and not wanting to share it have it being very private the experience of going around and playing these house concerts in smaller venues and going around sharing my own music is like a complete reversal of my early musical life and it's been just so meaningful to me. Hmm. And when you're in that little tiny venue or a house concert or like the ACMA, you'll you'll yeah. see it's it's like undivided attention. You have pretty much right. you know as right. close as you're going to get today. Right. Pretty much. Right. You know, even if you're in a a medium sized venue, there's somebody out there looking at their phone. Yeah. <laughs> and we just played a couple nights ago the Timucuah Center for the Arts in Orlando. Oh yeah, Orlando. I wanted to bring that up. I'm glad you did. Wonderful, amazing, wonderful. Um, the uh, wonderful venue, great sound. The owner of Benoit um, Glazer is 
just the, the best, top yeah. shelf, top to bottom, every aspect yeah. and of that, it. And that started as, as his house concert. In right, his house. it's in his house. I Googled it during the show, yeah. and yeah. I was like, okay. Oh, He's yeah. out of this world. I mean, every his attention to detail, the lighting in the place is just spectacularly beautiful. Like, he, he lights these paintings, and they look like they're like lit from behind. And, mm. and then all, all while we were playing, most sound guys, you know, they at a certain point, they just kind of can sit back, but all throughout we're while we're playing, he's making edit points in the video that he's taking. And at the end of the show, he's got a video for us wow. to post online. I don't know if we're big enough for him, but I'm totally going to invite him to be on this podcast. We'll Absolutely. Dri- we'll drive yeah. up there and sit in his thing. Oh, yeah. That would be a great you guys idea. can put a good one. He does like 200 <laughs> shows there a year. He was the director, um, the musical director for uh, Cirque Soleil. For huh. years, so huh. a degree, and he's a yeah. trumpet player from McGill University, French huh. Canadian. Yeah. Very, and yeah, and the audience that he's built yeah. up is just like these, just really enthusiastic music lovers. They're so articulate, and they they want to talk to you afterwards, and they just mm-hmm. you know. I think that's going to happen. I have a, a friend actually; he just passed away sadly, but he was the. Um, he was he was like in charge of setting up Cirque du Soleil. So like when they showed up, he was the guy, the foreman that was like, okay, yeah. everybody, Big we're job. building this. Oh, yeah. Big oh, job. Yeah. Um, okay, the question I was going to ask way back was uh, movie soundtracks. You guys oh. ever think about that? Mm. You guys yeah. create such Yes, we that's a really thing. need to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean you could practically just yeah, I can just Everybody shoot some says, B-roll and we can put your music <laughs> to it. <laughs> the one adjective we hear about our music is cinematic. Yeah. And uh yeah. we'd and like for that to we happen. We should be doing yeah, and that's just like another thing that we just really haven't had the time to get to, but it, it, we should because there's a lot of uh independent films that I think are like really Use our stuff. Absolutely. Right yeah, so in. if any filmmakers are out there listening. Yeah, yeah. We can hook that, you up. This is the I, I year know, to I do know that. filmmakers. Oh. So your music, it, it, it is so very unique, and we just heard you on Gulf Coast Life, which is absolutely wonderful. What mm-hmm. do you think from someone else that they've written about your music? Well, how do you think that the best way it's been described, you know, your sound and, and kind of your, your gig? Uh, well, my favorite quote is the one from Nels Klein, which is um, subtly poignant, elegantly funky and haunting without trying Trying to be, be. (laughs) Uh, which I have memorized because I was so tickled by it. (laughs) Very, very kind of him um, because he's a real avant-garde artist, you know, who's, yeah, he's, he's the stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. You hear these adjectives and you, and you, you you think, oh, hmm, really? You, You kind of, from the inside, you don't, you're just doing what you do, uh-huh. you know, and you're not. We're not writing to please some niche or some genre. You know, we just write what we want to do, and it comes out as it is. So, it's you kind of get a sense, I guess, with who you are and what you yeah. are by listening to people give right. you feedback. And it's it's really hard because we don't. Define, you know. I, I still haven't really figured out why people think that we're unique. Like I just, I just kind of hear. I hear. I mean, I don't really hear my influences in it necessarily, but it's just like we just kind of do what we do. Mm-hmm. And I've never. I've been always trying to get people to explain. Well, you know, what is it that you know is is unique about it? You know, voice and guitar. There's lots of voice and guitar people out there. And you know. we had somebody <laughs> refer to. We did a house concert in Gulfport recently, and somebody referred to it as avant garde. And like. Well, I will say, I mentioned earlier in the hall, so I got your press release and I clicked on the website and it has all those adjectives you're talking about. And a lot of times in my world, there's an inverse relationship to adjectives and finished product. (laughs) (laughs) Oftentimes they're trying to convince me that it's better than it is. And that's why, like I said, when I clicked in and listened to the the first song on your new album, I was like, okay, yeah, this is... Crossing over? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that was the one. I sat in my office and listened to it and was like... Yeah. I have to share this with the people down the hall. We use that um, song as, as a, 
as a, as a writing tool. And we do workshops on songwriting. To, to we start with how that was on an on a, uh, acoustic solo guitar, and all the different things that happened to it to turn mm. into what you heard. Um, mm. right, yeah. Okay, it is time for your third song. Okay. So how would you guys like to handle this? Do oh, do first? we? Yeah, well, you, you, you play, just... play it first? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, play it. Let's play, play Corcovado. Uh, okay, it is, how do you say it? Corcovado. Corcovado. Okay. Yeah. Corcovado. Okay. Or Quiet Nights is, of Quiet is Stars. The, is this the one off the Guest Gilberto record? I do believe we'll find out here okay. in a second. Is it from 1964? Yes. 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 So this this uh, this is an interesting song. This was the first time that a foreign record had won album of the year and song of the year. It wasn't the song was uh, actually the girl from Ipanema, but historic record '64. Gets Gilberto. Um, Gilberto, the the male who's singing here, he's just Miles Davis said he could read the the New York phone book and it would be beautiful. His wife was the only one who was in the studio. She wasn't even a singer. She was the only one that spoke English. So that's why they, they put that on there for her opening up. But he, it's really Joao's. He's the vocalist on the record. And then the great composer, Antonio Carlos Chobim, is playing piano. And, and also Gilberto is playing guitar. So do you want me to open the story uh, up? Well, let me actually, I just wanted to say something about sure. Bossa Nova in general. This, you know, this whole uh, melancholy longing thing that we've been talking about so much, you know, the uh, Brazilian Portuguese or Portuguese has a word for this, and it's uh, it's saudade, and bossa nova is like all about saudade. It's this word that has its own Wikipedia article. Um, it's kind of it's like homesickness, but you can have it for people as well as for uh, places. Hmm. And it's like nostalgia, but you can have it for the present as well as the past. Longing, so it's this yearning. this bittersweet longing and kind of hopeful and and they're they're just like really into it. And so, you know, Bossa Nova, it doesn't it's not like so grand as like the Matheny track or the but it's this kind of this small kind of intimate yeah. version of this of this kind of existential thing yeah. that we all mm-hmm. have. Right. So, I, yeah, the ahead. story to go along with this. So, we were on tour 3 years ago in uh in central Massachusetts, and we were going to play in a very small town. And um, it was an unusual gig because it was uh, an art gallery attached to a bar. And so we're coming into this town, and it's one of these kind of um, rust belt cities that had seen better days. The factories had closed in the 80s and definitely was on its skids. So we we weren't really knowing well, what's this about? What's this going to be like? And the guy had guaranteed us some some money, so they had you know like what hmm, interesting. We do a lot of gigs that are so we go in and we're setting up on a stage and and um, this we look out and right in front of us is this this the uh, couple of guys and they look like they uh, were laborers. And they had on orange construction, and they were dirty, and like they just got off a construction site, and and they got a couple of uh, Pabst Blue Ribbons in their hands, and uh, and they're calling the, kind yeah. of loud, and, yeah, and uh, and they're kind of you know slurring their their speech a bit and saying, yeah. oh, there's music that's fantastic, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those, yeah, this gigs. is going to be construction workers with and, PBRs, yeah, and they're and they're like, you know, uh, I'm like, there's okay, the next thing is going to be, you know, they're going to request. Freebird, you know yeah, that's what happens yeah. in this kind of <clears throat> situation. Bossa Nova Freebird, and I th- we just both thought, oh, this is going to be a, a tough it's gig. Be a they have, gig. you know, 
Because we guys. try not to play in bars, you know. Yeah, we yeah. don't. Yeah, I, you know. So um, there was an art gallery. Well, yeah, that was, was adjacent. Like, there was a <laughs> you know an opening between the two. So anyhow, um, so we do the first set, and I and as soon as the set comes to an end, this this one fella is in my face. He's, he's a foot from my nose. He comes and up I, on the stage. Yeah, on the stage, and I oh no, here we go. I'm gonna you know. <laughs> Um, and then he went on to, he said, oh, I just love that song, Corcovado, and he pronounced it correctly. And he, he didn't went, say Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars. And he was like, Corcovado, I love that song. Yeah, and this guy, he went on to talk about the music in the most intelligent, yeah. articulate way. He knew, he yeah. knew, he, he, I think he, had, he was Portuguese, wasn't he? Or yeah. Portuguese ancestry. And I realized that he wasn't actually slurring his speech earlier. He actually just had a really thick Massachusetts just, accent, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I was misinterpreting. Right. <laughs> Not not a Portuguese no. accent. I mean, he was he was you know definitely a third generation or whatever. Oh, and I, right, and right, I want right, to right. say that uh, you know these he was just all these people in these stories are the sweetest, most intelligent people. You, but the ex, I just had an idea that it was going to be a tough tough yeah. gig. And what was he doing like while we were playing? You were kind of watching, keeping an eye. Oh, on so him. I noticed as I was doing we were doing the first set that he was kind of walking behind the stage and go, and then I'd see him out through the front window and he cars were stopping and he'd be leaning talking to him through the window I thought well, interesting interesting I wonder what's going on and so after the gig he came up again right immediately was on me and uh, he started talking to me about his father and uh, his aspirations and then he said how they uh, wanted to move to Brazil he wanted to move to Brazil and um and he said that I had, he had a real serious problem. I said, oh, what's that? And um, he said, oh, I have a drug problem. Coke. Uh, yeah. I, and uh, I said, oh, and, and I went on to talk about that issue. And and, he, and uh, there was kind of a, a, like a fatherly bond or something there. It was really, really removing. So uh, and you, I'm sure you had some talks with him as well about well, the uh, the other thing I remember, he had this wonderful name too that he introduced himself. And we keep, we keep, we don't want to say the name because this was I don't know four years ago. I, I just feel yeah, like yeah. we should. No, say no, it. no, 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 no. Cut the mics for one second. Okay. The so let's just on, say so. that his name was William Wellington the third. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that really doesn't quite capture the the masculinity and the burliness. He of, was of his great name shape and also the, the handsome dignity. guy. Yeah. 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 With, with a red yeah. socks hat on, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then also when he was on the stage, he, he said he, – he started talking. He was a roofer. He was an industrial roofer. He'd just gotten off a roof and he went on to talk about these – And Max uh, was in construction. Yeah, right? I did Many construction years, for so, years. Yeah. So he's, you know, he was telling me about these German uh, solar panel f- um, f- um, panels that were so much better than the American-made ones and the wattage and the amps and how they were so much better. Very – a geek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? So, um, but uh, the other thing is the whole art bar thing. Did you? Oh, and, you? The, and the owner of this place, a, a very guy from the town, young entrepreneur, very smart, 
and he kind of knew the history, and he was trying to do do something really kind of like a community center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like all the art was like local artists, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he would have like a film he festival. He had film festivals. And, like, He'd completely yeah. paint the room, which was quite large. Yeah, painted so, a special color and have all these art films and yeah, like and a he, community member would say, you know, let's paint this place black just for the art festival, you know, or just for this festival. He'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Really together. Yeah. I follow him on Facebook, and he's still doing it. He has music, live music, four or five nights yeah. a week. And, and so then we went back. We. No, no, no. So, yeah, okay, go so ahead. I'm following this place, <laughs> and I see oh, that, oh, yeah, that's right. that there has been this huge drug bust in this community. And I thought, oh, no. This, and we're, like, you know, searching for going to get Mr. Wellington. To, Mr. Yeah. Wellington. But then I thought, you know, he, Mr. Wellington's pretty smart. You know, I, so we did it again a, a year or two later. Yeah. Oh, so you went back. We went back. The guy wanted to have us back. He said, you can come whenever you want. So we went back. We were passing through. Probably going to Solid Sound this time up in, in yeah. North Adams. And uh, and then you had an, an interview with this. Uh, yeah, the, the owners said, I asked, you know, if. Wellington. If our friend Wellington was yeah. going to be there or not, and uh, and he said, you know, I had to uh, I had to ban him from the bar, um, but I told him that he could come back just for you guys, <laughs> and he did not actually show up, which I was sad about. But um, I just it really made me realize that this, this this owner of the bar, and I wish we could say the name of the bar, and I don't maybe it's okay, but no, 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 I, no, no, I think no, it's no. better that we not because I'd love to plug this bar, but yeah. I just think that he's doing this like amazingly. Big hearted. He's basically he's he's he has his bar and it's like he's doing um, uh, social work. Hmm. You know, yeah. he's has these relationships with these these people and you know and he's just doing. He's bringing arts into into the community in this incredibly like creative way. You know, that is like let's you know let's really get it to the people. This is where they are. They're in the bar and we're gonna you know we're gonna do this and. Um, there's lots of classy bars out there, you know, but this is something different, you know. Hmm. A little tiny town. So uh, as a, a, another chapter of this story, so we were out west in uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming. I had a friend from Rock Springs. He referred to it as Rock Bottom. Very small town in a very bleak part of Wyoming. We were doing a house concert. Very. In a, Did you very... want to mention the name of the town? I guess that's okay. N- n- yeah, that's okay. That's okay. So um, this one's okay. The uh, very small house counted in a very small living room, and uh, the the host uh, called a friend of his that were uh, she was from Latin America, and she came, and she brought her significant other, and this guy another, anyhow this guy looked like the Hulk. He was as big as the icebox. He was beautiful. He took up the whole Huge doorway. Huge sculpted muscles. His, his arms were the size of my legs, and I thought. Clap, wow! You know, this to again. Go. This is going to be a really tough gig. So now we're doing Arnold the gig in the front, in the bigger action Mi- hero. We're yeah. in the living room. The guy's sitting like on, on a couch, maybe eight feet in front of us. And as we start playing, and he starts talking to his his uh, significant other rapidly. And then eventually the phone rings. His phone rings, and he gets up and he leaves and goes into the kitchen. And every time he moves, he's you know he's he's, he's got purpose in his. He's movements. little, yeah, you know, he's and real... he's a little uncomfortable. So anyhow, the, 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 on this on the break, immediately, he's on me again, right right up on my nose, and I oh he's going to pick me up and pop my head like a grape. And uh, it turned out he was an audiophile. He knew all about the speakers. He was going on and on about how great the music was and how sensitive it all was. He could just speak in the most intelligent way about it. 
And uh, he and he said, I'm, I, I apologize. I was just t- for talking because I wanted to tell my my wife how good the music was. And then I got an emergency phone call. And I wanted to apologize for getting up in the middle and going into the kitchen. Just the best, most genteel manners, you know. And uh, yeah, and he was working in a in a in a warehouse um, doing uh, physical labor. And I can relate to that because I did that for many years. And then he just turned out to be this incredibly uh, kind of lonely guy who didn't. And he he kept saying to his wife, you know, see, I told you know I told you I knew what I was talking about with his music stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I really uh, related to that. I could really it was very very moving. And then because right, you re- didn't come from you know, no 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 right. So that another quick. So we're out in Palo Alto about two months ago, maybe six weeks ago, playing in a very nice, big, modern, big house concert. And uh, we're milling around before the show started, and there's a young fellow there, and he says, you know, I heard you first in Massachusetts. And I said, oh, like a solid sound with Wilco Festival? He said, no, no, it's this little kind of uh, art bar in this, in, in, uh, this little town. I said, and I mentioned the name of the town. He said, yeah. And I said, really? Um, same place where we met, uh-huh. Wellington. And, uh, and I said, well, do you know, Ms., do you know um, William Wellington? He said, yeah. I showed him a picture of me. He said, oh, yeah, I know that guy. So this fella had been there and heard us sitting at the bar and came in. He heard us. And he, and he thought it was, he said, he, I thought it was the radio plane. And, and I came in and I was really blown away. There were a, only five people there. Bought a, right. bought a CD chances, and signed the mailing list. And I said, well, what are you doing on, on the West Coast at Palo Alto? He said, well, I, I joined the Army and I'm going to the famous language school in Monterey learning Chinese. And he was really into linguistics and uh, he already spoke, I don't know, eight languages or something. Now he's going to learn Chinese, mm. you know. And I just thought, how strange that, you know, this little bar in this little town in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts, and we had, here this guy is in, you know, Palo Alto, the high-tech yeah. IT place in the world, you know. and It's and, a small world and, after and all. Out. Very small world, yeah. Huh. And all these people, you know, all these experiences are just so... So sweet, and these people are so nice, and there's just so much goodness out there. And there's so much, there's just so much intelligence everywhere yeah. you go. So much yeah, intelligence yeah. and 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 openness and spirituality, and everyone just does it in their own way, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not about having a particular background. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, you just find it, especially with the internet, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your preconceptions about things. Exactly. It's, you know, That's don't judge a book really, by its cover. Exactly, because yeah, really. you can. <laughs> You can really yeah. be surprised. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, we have played bars. We have yeah. been in those situations where it did not turn out to be Mr. I was going to say, what's going to happen you know? is somebody's going to jump up there and you're going to be like, oh, it's somebody who's really nice and they're yeah. going to punch you. <laughs> no, yeah, well, you we know, have I not mean, had those. You know, we haven't had. It's well, nice. no, I mean, we've been on a stage where there was someone like cra- some crazy person, you know, oh, that basically was in our face and was literally, you know. Yeah. But, but most of these really wonderful experiences are positive. So, hmm. yeah. Do you guys play that song? Corcovado. Oh yeah, we like, basically is that like start a, most gigs with that. Song. Yeah, oh, okay, we, we okay. can play three hours of that kind of Brazilian music like that. Yeah, um, you guys played two Beatles songs during Gulf Coast Life, right? Well, Taste of Honey isn't really a Beatles song. Oh well, but they did cover it. But okay. lots of people covered it. Yeah. Okay, well then you played one and a half Beatles songs. And what I do love you? Them. What What do you guys play that is you know besides? What do you cover? What are the uh, ones you reinterpret? It's not really a cover. It's we do reinter- Wichita Lineman. Yeah, we do. We have a oh. pretty um, That's on one of those CDs you yeah. have. Um, but other songs that we cover, we do all these bossa novas. We do um, 
we do some songs uh, like jazz standards use, yeah, that yes. we uh, <coughs> that we write original lyrics for. So we do like a folk version of Giant Steps by John Coltrane. Hmm. We do uh, Take Five with lyrics that are actually stolen yeah. from the, uh, the the dialogue and the rhythm of the dialogue in film noir movies. Mm-hmm. You know, bogey movies. Um, oh, that's bogey. the one that you mentioned. You mentioned the, that the yeah. lyrics. So yes. that's what the music side is. Right. That yeah. sounds pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I got to drive Dave Brubeck in a, my van from Sanibel Island to this studio. Oh, really? And back to Sanibel Island once cool. back in 2003, I yeah. think. But he sat right there. Dave Brubeck. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Cool. <laughs> On this chair? Probably a different chair. Oh. Um, uh, okay. Uh, we're pretty much running up toward the end of the time. Okay. So I have, I have a bunch of questions that we didn't get to, which is fine. We don't always get to them. Yeah. But I'm going to speed round you guys a little okay. bit. Okay. Okay. Um, just yes or no. Broadway musicals? No. No. Okay. Um, uh, peak concert experience. Um, Neil Young, Boise. Hmm. Mm, oh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I thought you hated them. It was a peak experience. It was a good concert. <laughs> I don't think I've heard about this. Yeah. Um, karaoke. No. I could see Absolutely you probably no. could really no confuse way. some people in karaoke. <laughs> yeah. In a good way. I'm very shy. Like, you know, jam sessions in general. Yeah, that's terrifying. Hmm. Karaoke? No. No? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> uh, dancing. No. Probably. Oh, no. I, God, I no. guess I already know the answer to that now. I love to watch other people dance. You know, the funny thing is, is that we actually move a lot on stage, and a lot of people accuse us of dancing. Right. Yeah. In matter of fact, people have actually used the word choreography. Hmm. Which is weird. Is it just some sort of weird cosmic synchronization yeah, that happens? Yeah, it's just kind of like this swaying thing. Yeah. I um, thought that it was accused of dancing. Yeah. It yeah. accused you. Yeah. It says a lot. Um, um, if you can learn any instrument and be really good at it instantly, which would it be? Oh, it'd be between piano and guitar. Well, no, no, wait, no, voice. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, no, that's not, I don't understand. No. Like, it's an uh, instrument, it's physical. But you already know how to play it. But I would like to play it better. Okay. Uh, Double either, singing. Either cello or harmonica. Huh. Cello. Okay. Cello. Um, uh, dream gig. Collectively answer that one. Uh, tiny desk. <laughs> yeah? Why can't you? Have you guys put a video in? They oh, just yeah. opened it. It yeah, just opened back up. It's on my to do list. It's on my to do list. Bump that up. Yeah. You guys, I think you'll get on there. Yeah, I, or. Uh, I don't know if I have a dream gig, but I'd like to be have five of them a week. Right? Five of them a week, and you can five fly between them. No, and each one <laughs> leads to better better pay and better musicians and, you know, just better opportunities. Yeah. Um, what? Okay. I've got, I've got to change this question. Um, we normally ask, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? You can think about that for a second. I want to know what your third grade self would think about who you are today. Um, I think she'd like me. I think, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like afraid of third graders now because I feel intimidated by them because, <laughs> you know, they really know what's going on. Right. And uh, so I think that I would, if I was in third grade thinking about myself, I would, I would feel good because I would feel like I'd made a difference by having that thought that that as an adult I would take me seriously. So I would feel taken seriously by myself, and that would feel good. Do you think your your third grade self would be surprised that you were still talking about the unicorns? <laughs> no, not at all. No, as a matter of fact, that was a big. It was a big. We kind of like I swore with my best packed. friend that we would never stop believing in unicorns. Okay. So 
Yeah. Okay, and <laughs> Max, your 14-year-old self? I think you'd think I was very familiar. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there any music that you'll avoid listening to? And I mostly mean like a song if it comes up on the radio because you, it's overplayed or you have a negative memory associated with it or something like that. I don't think so. I'm one – a couple things that have changed. The, like for instance, The Girl from Ipanema. This is a song that was played so much and, was, and it was like an, on any given Friday night it was probably being played in 10,000 holiday inns in America, you know. And so for many years, I really avoided that song, playing it. But now people don't, you know, we play these, we play for a lot of NYU students in New York. They don't have, they've never heard that song. They just right. hear it as for what it is. And, and they it love has, it. And yeah, it has. And they it, love so, it. Yeah. yeah, and it's a great song. And uh, huh. so, yeah, but no bad feelings about any songs or anything. And I'll listen, you know, I even listen, we'll listen to rap and stuff like that. So, hmm. yeah. Edda? Uh Nothing really. I don't like loud music. I don't like it if it's well, if I feel like it's going to damage my hearing. It just it's kind of turns me off. It's more of a volume level thing, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, not really. There's not really. I mean, I can't. Sorry, not really Tara. I, like. <laughs> I made Tara laugh really loud. The volume <laughs> is. You know, I always feel like I'm being shouted at or pushed on, or you know, like my yeah. personal space is being invaded, invaded with with loud, with volume. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that has something to do with the quietness of our yeah. music. Back to your – we cut off your answer, though. Oh, you know? I can't. I can't. I still haven't thought of um, like a particular Well, you could just say right none, there. yeah. Yeah. No, not, I don't think so. Okay. We're pretty much out of time. Who are those three people that you're going to share this with that you'll recommend f- for the podcast? Well, I think uh, Pat Sansone, uh, who we talked about, who's in the band Wilco and has you know, a recording – business. Of he's, he's probably got a studio we can just plop him down in. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Make, doing a tape sync or something really Yeah, he simple. could record it on his, like, his vintage a, he's microphone. He's a great interview. You hear that, Pat? <laughs> yeah. No, I, he's, and he has wonderful things. He, yeah. He'd be I very would, interesting We would love you. that. Yeah. Um, I, th- um, and Nels Klein? Uh, yeah, Nels. Uh, Nels, Nels Klein, Klein is, is very the, interesting. Is the lead he's guitarist in the band Wilco. Wilco yeah. And okay. then, a, and um, a, but what about uh, Benoit from Timbuqua? Oh, you? Well, yeah. If you make it formal, then that's that. Yeah, I yeah. think Benoit, you know, is it Glazer? Yeah, I think that's G-L-A-Z-E-R. how you pronounce it. G-L-A-Z-E-R. No, okay. G-L-A-Z-E-R. But yeah, you, would, can, you can figure that out. Yeah. Um, we will make any of that happen if any of y'all want to be on this thing. Yeah, and yeah. he, yeah, and he's, uh, you know, he, not only is he a venue owner, and um, but he's also a classical or a jazz yeah. trumpet player. So, hmm. And I think for people to, to hear about the music industry and what it really means to bring music to people and what that takes and everything that's going on with that. I think it's, it's quite interesting sociologically, and, and I'm sure he'd have very interesting yeah, things to say about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, any yeah. final thoughts? We're done. No, thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. A lot of fun. There's a train Pulls off near Glendale Passing through but it waits for a while. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida, and at our kitchen tables now, too. Richard Chenqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and sometimes hosts as well. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. 
For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to Max and Etta from the episode of Gulf Coast Life they were on, recorded with John Davis just before the recording of this session. I highly encourage you to listen to it, to learn more about both of their lives in music, and to hear some amazing live tunes. This is Crossing Over from their album Ocean of Birds and its origin song story, performed live in the WGCU studio.
keep listening. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to sing this song now, and this is the part of the show when I'm going to sing a song. Next time on Three Song Stories. Before tonight came along Love was just a tip